tattoos, all right? They've been around for a really, really long time. The oldest surviving tattoos were found on a dude by the name of Utsi. His name is really hard to pronounce. He was an ice man. He was discovered in the Utsi Valley of the Alps. And uh, researchers say he's probably, you know, was around sometime between the 4th and 5th millennium BC. So he's a really old guy. But he has over 60 tattoos on his body. Now, they're not fancy like tattoos are today. They're of varying uh, uh, lengths of parallel lines kind of set over each other. And a lot of them appear to be medicinal because the scientists can tell by examining the the ice man's body that he had issues going on underneath where those tattoos are. But then there's some in places where there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. And that kind of raises a question. And that is, why do people get tattooed? And by the way, Utsi didn't get inked, all right? He got burning charcoal on his body for his tattoos. That had to have been more painful than a needle, I would think. But anyway, why do people get tattoos? I mean, here in America, one out of five adults at least has one tattoo, maybe more. Why do people tattoo their bodies? Well, there are as many varying reasons as there are different styles and kinds and artistic tattoos that are out there. But, you know, some people, if you ask them, why did you get that tattoo? They just simply say, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just thought it'd be kind of cool. What do you think of it? All right. Very casual. Kind of, you know, I got it on a whim. Other people, however, are very intentional, like they're very specific about why they got their tattoo. For them, their tattoo is their creed. Now, the word creed means belief. So it's like, this is my belief, or it's my tribe's belief. I believe this to the core. I believe it so much that I've, I've, I've had it put on my body with indelible ink. I'm, I'm never going to get rid of it. This is who I am. This is what I stand for. And you know, and, and I don't care if people see it. I want people to see it. This is what I believe. So I thought to myself, you know, I, I wonder what some of those creeds are that people get tattooed. What are, what are some of the things that people believe? And so I, I did a little research, and uh, one caught my eye uh, for obvious reasons that you see in a few moments. And it's, it's on this arm, and it says, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Now, the reason I pulled that one out, nothing is true, everything is permitted, is because I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of the mood of the culture these days. We're, we're seeing that, we're hearing a lot of that. Nothing is true, everything is permitted. And it kind of sounds fun, but if you take it seriously, it's actually really dangerous. If you run that thing out and enough people believe in it, what it leads to is anarchy. And it's interesting because when you study history and you look at, at movements of, of deep change in nations and countries, oftentimes it's instigated through anarchy. And anarchy is there to kind of upset the old belief system, to call it into question until finally, you know, it's, it's so in, in upheaval, right? There's so much anarchy that somebody can come in and institute a new value system, a new belief system and say, look, we've got to have order, and this is how we're going to bring that order in. And then a lot of times, those who are used to create the anarchy are suddenly, well, they suddenly disappear because they're not needed anymore. We've seen a cycle of that throughout history, and I, I think we're seeing a bit of a cycle of that even today, even in our own country. 
you have to be really careful when you decide that you really don't want to believe in truth. Because you cannot go through life without truth. And you cannot go through life with everybody saying that what they believe is the truth. You end up in conflict, which begs the question then, what do you believe? What is your creed? What is the truth that you are going to live by, die by, stand by? Be willing to even have it painted on your body and say, this is who I am. I mean, Christianity is based on creedal truths. We heard some of them in the apostolic creed. These are things that we believe with our hearts if we're true followers of Christ. And in fact, there have been followers of Christ throughout history who have given their lives for what they believe in. They've been burned at the stake. They've been beheaded. They've been imprisoned. There are believers today who have suffered and are suffering right now because of what they believe in. And so that's why we're in this brand new series called Creed. Because over the next several weekends, I want to talk about some of those creedal beliefs that we have that are under attack. And if some people had their way, they'd erase them, they'd eliminate them, and they'd replace them with a different creed statement. Even some who call themselves Christians would like to say that our old creeds need to be done away with and new creeds need to be replaced. You know, as I've thought about that, I've thought to myself, wow, I wonder if I would be willing to get my creed tattooed on my body. Or maybe I should say it this way. Would I be willing to take a creed from the Bible that I so believe in and, and have it tattooed on my body with indelible ink so that people would see it and like, that's who I am and that's what I believe. And, and I thought about it for a while. I thought, well, I'm 61 years old. I mean, am I too old to get a tat? I thought, you know, I could get like creed on one arm and then on the other arm, I could have some of those core beliefs that I have. And then I thought to myself, you know, you're just never, you're just never too old, Dale, to try something new. So I got myself a, a tattoo. I wonder what you, you think of that. I, I just decided I'll get creed on the one arm and then, you know, I'll put the other beliefs on the other arm. And I know that right now, some of you are looking at that and you're going, what? Some of you are thinking, you are the coolest oldish pastor I'm putting this on social media. Hashtag PD got tattooed for Jesus. Now, those of you are looking at this and you're going, I can't believe you did that. What were you thinking? This is not the Wooddale way. We don't want the senior pastor of Wooddale Church wearing a tat. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened. Well, those of you who really know me, you know that I'm Dutch, right? I'm a little tight and, and I also don't like needles. So I'm going to be really honest with you. This, this is one of those tattoos that you can put on and, and you can take off. At least the... The uh, creative arts team, which, which just does a fabulous job, told me that it'll, you know, it'll probably fade within three days. I really hope they're right. But hey, if they're not, might as well get the other arm done too, right? But you get my point. My point is this. There are a lot of people, Christians, who are kind of into this idea of, you know, acting as though they really believe something if they're around people who they know will accept their convictions from God's word and, and they want to belong to that group. But when they're around another group of people who may disagree with that, they kind of rub that off and they, they rub on a, a creed that's more fitting of that group that they're around. And God says that his creeds cannot be put on and put off, replaced, updated. No, his creeds are meant for eternity. I can't just put them on when they're convenient and then rub them off and put something else there. 
So the question is, am I willing to wear the creed of God's word on my life, in my mind and on my heart? How about you? What do you really believe? Well, this weekend, I want to talk about something we read about when we were doing the, or recited when we did the Apostolic Creed, and it's this whole belief in God, which is under attack in our culture, at least the God of the Bible. Remember that statement? It went like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Do you? Do you believe in the God of the Bible, the Father Almighty? David did. In Psalm 139, he talks about some unique aspects of who God is. You know, he tried to talk about God in just a few minutes I have left, let alone talk about him for a lifetime. It's like trying to drink the ocean in one gulp. It's just that it just you can't exhaust your knowledge, your understanding of who God is. We'll learn more about God through all eternity. He is so vast. But I want to touch on just a couple of aspects, just barely touch a couple of aspects of who God really is. In order to do that, I want you to just close your eyes and I just want you to listen as uh, one from our congregation reads to us Psalm 139 and see if you can pick out some of the beauty of who our God is. Listen to this. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. O oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with a total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So what did you hear about God? I want to suggest to you that there are at least three things in this psalm, Psalm 139, that remind us of who God is. And here's the first one. God is a reality that you cannot escape. God is a reality that you cannot escape. Now let's break that down. For instance, we learned that God is all-knowing. He knows everything about you and me. He knows us inside and out, so to speak. God is present everywhere, or God's presence is infinite. If you could somehow travel to the edge of the universe, God would be there, and he'd even be beyond there. He fills up space, and space cannot contain him. And then God's power is exceeding. I can't even fully describe God's power to you. He's so great. I mean, God created the universe and the galaxies and the solar systems and the stars and the planets. He created the high mountain ranges, the vast oceans, the great creatures. But, you know, God's power is not always seen in the great things. God's power can be manifested in the smallest things. Sometimes the smallest things take the greatest power. Like our cells, they're so complex, they're so unique. Or atoms, or the unseen world, or that unseen spirit of yours that inhabits that body of yours. And God created both. In a sense, God has our whole life mapped out. You know, if you read carefully in Psalm uh, 139, verse 16, David says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And what is so unique about that is that in the Hebrew, what that means is God saw the embryo in the womb. You know what that tells me? It tells me that all life matters to God in the womb, outside the womb. No matter what color our skin is, no matter what our ethnic background is, God loves everyone. Everyone matters so much to God. And because everyone matters so much to God, everyone, especially to those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, everyone's life should matter to you and me as well. Now, I don't know if you noticed when I was reading the psalm, but there's a part of this psalm that uh, is troubling. And when our reader shared the psalm with us, maybe you picked up on it. Um, it's, it's found about verse um, 20 or so, and I'll read it to you. It goes like this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do not let hate, uh, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And if you read the psalm carefully, that part just seems so out of place. It's like David's describing God and his creative power and his creative act and and his love, and, and how precious we are. And then he gets to this section where he just kind of unloads and says, God, I hate evildoers. I hate, I hate people who practice injustice, and, and I hate those who shed blood and who are violent. And it's like he's saying, God, with all your power, bring all that power against them and destroy them. And, you know, some people 
when they read verses like that, that's what causes them to say, I, I just really have a hard time believing the God of the Bible because he seems so, he seems so cruel, he seems so mean, he seems so angry. Well, on the one hand, you know, we ought to hate violence, we ought to hate injustice, and we ought to hate those who do what is wrong. But the truth is this. Not only should we hate those, those things, but we need to understand that it's not ours to take vengeance. That belongs to God. It's up to God how he's going to deal with those kinds of things. And the fact is, God has unleashed his hatred and God has unleashed his anger. But he hasn't unleashed it on us. He unleashed it on his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you and for me. He gave his life he bore the judgment, the anger, the hatred of God on himself so that we could have hope, so that we could have eternal life. God's grace is so great, in other words, that he would rather bear our punishment, bear our judgment, than have to mete it out on us. And that's the goodness and the grace of God, isn't it? But it kind of leads us to another concept that's in Psalm 139, and that's this, that God is a threat that cannot go unnoticed. God is a threat that cannot go unnoticed. You know, in the psalm, if you read it carefully, there's a, poor, there's a part where David says, such knowledge about God is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And it sounds so glorious, but in the Hebrew, what he's actually saying is, the knowledge that God knows everything about me is kind of against me. The knowledge that God is so intimately acquainted with me, it intimidates me. It threatens me. It makes me nervous. And he says, you know, I wish I could, I wish sometimes I could just escape his holy gaze. I just wish there was a place like I could go into the heights because I, I, I arrived there and God is there. I wish I could go into the depths, but I get there and God is there. I wish I could cover myself with a blanket of darkness, but even there, God is there because where God shows up, there is no darkness. And it makes me uncomfortable that God sees me every waking moment and he knows everything about my life. And you know, I, I can pick up on that anxiety by the psalmist, by David. I don't know about you, but I, I like my privacy, don't you? And I, I like my moments when nobody's watching me and there are some moments I hope that nobody is watching me or hearing what I'm thinking. I mean, would you like a cloud bubble above you all the time telling everybody what you're thinking about, what's in your mind? Of course not. And that makes us nervous. It's kind of upsetting to us. And David's kind of struggling with this. I mean, if God knows everything about me, I mean, what does that mean for me? How am I going to, how am I going to deal with that? Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, who is not a believer, um, was a man, though, that was very, very creative in his thinking about life and thinking about spiritual things. And uh, he wrote a book, and it was entitled Being and Nothingness, Being and Nothingness. And in that book, he tells this imaginary story. He says, imagine uh, a man looking through a keyhole at somebody who doesn't know that he's watching. He said, I imagine myself doing that. He goes, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying watching this person and they don't even know that I'm watching them. I am 
the unviewed viewer. And it says, suddenly I hear a noise. And I realize that there's somebody looking through the keyhole at me, looking through the keyhole at somebody else. He says, I suddenly feel dehumanized. I feel disempowered. I feel guilt. I feel shame. It bothers me if somebody's doing this. I can't stop them. I can't filter what they can see and what they can know about me. It makes me feel dehumanized. It makes me feel like I have no power. It, it, it makes me feel like I have no freedom. And he wrestles with that. And he says, that's why I don't believe in God. Because if I, ha if I believe in a God like the Bible talks about, then I, I'm not really human. I'm not really free. But what Sartre doesn't realize is that you're not really human and you're not really free if somebody doesn't see you. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known. There's a tribe in, in uh, South Africa that has a unique greeting that they give to each other. You may have heard it before, but when they see each other, one person will say to the other, Sabona, which means I see you. And it doesn't mean like, yeah, I just see you. It means I see you, therefore you have value. And the person will respond in uh, their language and they'll say, Sikbona, which means I have been seen. I see you. Ah, I have been seen. I have value. And what we struggle with in our lives is this whole idea. We want to be seen, but we're afraid to be seen and known because we're afraid if you really see me and really know me, you won't like me. You will judge me. You'll use what you see and know about me and my vulnerability against me. And we're afraid of that. We're afraid what that might mean to us and what someone might do with that in our lives. And yet, at the same time, here's what's so twisted about it. While I don't want anybody to see me, there's something in us that kind of likes seeing and knowing stuff about other people because it gives us power. I remember when my brother was in about seventh grade, I would have been about a junior in high school. He came home with one of his little friends and he didn't know I was around. And I saw them sneak off into the woods that was near our house. And I, I went off behind them very stealth. They didn't know I was there. And I found them in a ditch. And my brother and his little friend were smoking Virginia Slims. His friend had stolen the cigarettes from his mom. Man, I tell you what, that was a moment of power for me. I was not going to have to do any housework for like weeks with the dirt I had on him. Sometimes we like having the dirt on other people. And when other people know that we have the dirt on them, you know, they, 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 feel, they feel abused by us. They feel controlled by us because we can use that against them. But not God. See, that's the beauty, not God. Look at this last thought about God in the psalm. God is a being who chooses to love us instead of condemn us. God wants to love you. He doesn't want to condemn you. When God looks through the keyhole, he looks at you with love, not with condemnation. Even though he sees everything in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. He knows you and he loves you. When I was meditating on the psalm uh, several weeks ago, 
in verse 5 and verse 10, there are three things that we're told about God and his relationship to you and me. And the first thing we're told, if you imagine this is you, I'll give you a smile. It says that God's hand, imagine this is God's hand, is upon you, is upon me. Then he goes on in the passage and he says, not only is God's hand upon us, but God's hand also reaches down, he says, and God's hand guides us. Think about a, a father or a mother holding the hand of their child and they're guiding, they're leading them along. And then finally he says, you know, not only that, but he says that God, his hand, also upholds us. In fact, David goes on in the psalm and he says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. And the word that he uses for precious there means like diamonds and rubies and sapphire and emeralds. So every time God looks through the keyhole at you and looks at the, through the keyhole at me, he's just, he's just in love with us. He just sees us as so valuable, so precious, so beautiful. That's how he feels about us. I mean, think about that statement that he makes in the passage of Scripture here and apply it to yourself. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them, even though you know all the dirt <laughs> about my life. How can that possibly be? It's because Jesus, Jesus took all the judgment we deserve to himself. So we could become him in the eyes of his father who loves his son, his precious, priceless son and sees us now the same way. That's why I am never going to recant or give up my creed, God's creed given to me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Father, because of who he is and what he's done for me. Listen to what it says in Colossians. Paul says, this includes you who were once far away from God, you were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without one single fault. That's you. That's me. If you and I had put our faith in Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Because there is no other God under heaven that has ever done that or ever would do that except the God of the Bible. That's worth having tattooed on your mind and your heart. That's worth living for and dying for. Let me ask you, do you believe 
in God. Let's pray. Father, we've only barely touched, and not even that, the surface of who you are and your greatness and your goodness. Words, Father, cannot in any way capture your vastness and yet your intimacy and your love toward each one of us. Father, there are a lot of people who want to change who you are. But you are always the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that you will give us the conviction to believe in and to accept who you are, the way you are. For in you, we find our identity. In you, we find our value. And in you, we find our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, something special coming up this week is our National Day of Prayer event, and I really hope you'll join me. I've got some things that I want to share with you that are deep uh, in my heart and, and a burden that I, I'm really struggling with that I want to share with you and ask you to join me in. It's not just prayer for our nation, which so desperately needs our prayers, but it's prayer for the church. It's prayer for each other. Because if we've ever needed a spiritual awakening in the church, it is today. And I want to share with you what I think is the one great cause and reason why we're not seeing that awakening right now and how we can overcome that. So join us online or join us here at the Eden Prairie Campus in the Great Room this coming Thursday. I look forward to seeing you. God bless you.